That was worth it. <laughs> I'm real glad that I sobered up while I'm still living. <laughs> Some of these cats that I don't like, but I, I can associate with them now. You really are a beautiful bunch of diseased people. Yeah. I was born at a very young age. And far as I can find out, I was born sober. And in fact, I've been sober ever since I can remember. Y'all not very fast. Might as well give them a surprise today. The others have given it. It's October 15, 1956. Yeah. Now, in Texas, where David's from, they give the sobriety date because they say if you don't give your date, you may not have one. <laughs> so we're so close to Texas, we somewhat adhere to the same, to the same belief and custom. <coughs> My sponsor told me to keep things simple. And the text of my sermon tonight will keep it simple and follow directions. This was hard, is hard, and I guess always will be hard for me to do. I can louse up a one-car funeral. <clears throat> I just do not keep things simple. Now, I've been asked to tell this story. I hate to tell stories. <laughs> but David and Gracie have always had cats. And believe it or not, they had a cat over there that named Father Hillary. And he is a nut, the, the cat. <laughs> well, the old cat didn't like, uh, didn't like David and wouldn't get in the chair with him, wouldn't get to bed with him. And wouldn't sleep with him. So the cat had to sleep by himself. And the cat had a bad habit. And it disturbed Gracie. The cat snored. And so she took him to the veterinarian and explained what, ha what was happening with him. So <clears throat> the doctor told him to go home and find a red ribbon and tie it in the proper place. And the cat wouldn't snore. So sure enough, he tried it, and the cat didn't snore. Well, that night, David comes in, stumbling in, along about 1 or 2 o'clock in the morning, and immediately hits the bed and immediately starts snoring. Now, don't get ahead of me. <laughs> <laughs> so she said, well, I'll just find a red ribbon tied on. Couldn't find a red ribbon, but found a blue one. Tied it in the proper place, no cat quit snowing. So <clears throat> next morning, old Dave comes to, looks down and sees the cat, sees that, that blue ribbon on his so-and-so, and looked down at himself and saw the red ribbon on himself. And he said, Tom, I don't know where we went last night and what we'd done, but we must have done good because we won first and second prize. <laughs> <laughs> I, I spent the night at the motel the night before last 
and there was a party going on. And along about 2 or 2.30 in the morning, there was this screaming and beating on the door, kicking on the door, and just screaming at the top of their lungs. And this little old middle-aged blonde, about 18, 19 years old. <laughs> and she just wouldn't quit banging on that door. And David finally had to get up and let her out. <clears throat> well, now that we got the spiritual side of the program out of the way, we're <clears throat> I'm an alcoholic, and my name's Franklin Williams. <laughs> By the grace of God, the fellowship with men and women like you, and because this program works, it hadn't been necessary for me to take a drink today, and for this I'm most, most grateful. We are having, I'm sure you're not having it in your area, but we've got a new organization. It's Alcoholic Ann. You ask somebody what they are. I'm an alcoholic and an addict. I'm an alcoholic and a food nut. I'm an alcoholic and a so-and-so. And I've read all through the book, and I don't find nothing in there about Anders. But several of us here have got a friend in AA from Louisiana. He talked at a local group here not long ago. And the chair lady and everybody else had got up and introduced themselves, introduced themselves as an alcoholic ander. So when it got time for Tom to get up, he got up and said, My name's Tom, and I'm an alcoholic and a circumcised male. <laughs> Did that one come up your way? <laughs> so we were going to get up a football game, the Anders against the, the others, but but the Anders had too many and they wouldn't go by the rules. So the umpire kicked out all of them. So they're studying up on the rules now. I jokingly refer to that, but to me it is a serious deal. And I think those of us in Alcoholics Anonymous that want to preserve this thing and for us to have what Bill and Dr. Bob left us, I think we need to do some work on getting this thing down to a singleness of, of purpose. I told you the text of my sermon would be to keep it simple and follow directions. And this is hard. It is real hard. So I have tried for all these 34 years to get things down simple enough to where I can understand it and to where it's meaningful to me. So I've come up with this. With six words, I can sum up this whole AA program. Trust God, clean house, and help others. And those six words have been very, very beneficial to me. David taught me to talk to myself. And... <clears throat> He told me to ask myself questions and to repeat. And I said, David, you told me one time if I was repeating this stuff, I was crazy as ever. He said, no, you need to. And so I still do that. He's taught me to go in the corner and get out on my knees and thank God for just everything that I can think of. Thank God. Trust God. And I use this at least once a day and many days many times a day 
and when things begin to get kind of lopsided, I'll go over in the corner and count myself. I know the first time David sent me over there, I said, David, you can't mean that. You really want me to go over in the corner and count myself? He said, yeah. I went over there and knelt down and counted myself, came back. He said, how many did you come up with? I said, one. He said, that's good. But you remember that. You can always be one. You are one child of God. You are one member of Alcoholics Anonymous. You've got one job to do in Alcoholics Anonymous. You've got one seat in your group and be there and do it. And this is still, still beneficial to me. Sponsorship is a weak deal in my area. I sometimes think we're making some progress in it, and I think we have. But we've still got a lot, a lot of work to do. <coughs> and I don't know about others. All I know is the sponsor that I had. And the only way I know to sponsor somebody is the way that David sponsored me. And a lot of people would tell me today that I'm too rough on them. That I'll run them off. And my reply is, where in the devil are they going? <laughs> They're already at the last house on the block. <laughs> Ain't no place else to go. You've been there before you come in. <laughs> so David started me off like he started off everybody else. And it's odd the way I got my sponsor. Or really, I didn't got him. He got me. And he... <laughs> I said, David, he said, you're my sponsor. I I'm your sponsor. I said, how did, how did you get to be my sponsor? I don't even go to, a, I haven't even been to a meeting. He said, we heard about you. <laughs> and said, we drew straws and I lost. <laughs> <laughs> and it was that way from then on. Now, he took me to a meeting every night for a certain number of nights. And... He'd always, he'd take me by where I was staying, a little garage apartment. He'd say, now get out, and I'll pick you up here at 7 o'clock tomorrow. morning. So <clears throat> I, he pulled up there and told me to get out. And he said, now wait a minute. He said, I'm not going to pick you up in the morning, uh, tomorrow night. I said, how, are you gonna get, how am I going to get there? He said, we find walking helps. <laughs> he said, you be there. So I was. Well, I say, he took me to a meeting every night. Finally, there, on that particular night, he says, I've been taking you long enough. He said, we find that alcoholics get dependent on their sponsor. And he says, you're going to have to get up off of it and do some things yourself. He says, you, you, you get, get there. So I, I walked. I, I knew nobody else was going to pick me up. I knew nobody else was going to do anything for me. And David did occasionally spring for a hamburger or <coughs> RC, as we had back there, RC in the stage plank. <laughs> Keeping it simple. <laughs> <coughs> so he took me out to a meeting one night, and he said, now this is a, a closed meeting. I didn't know what a closed meeting was, but I sure wasn't going to ask David. I said, are you going to talk? 
He said, if they get around to me, I might. He said, I notice that you talk at all these things. Don't anybody else talk at these things except you? He said, when, when we haven't got much to take up that night, well, we would ask some of these others. <laughs> well, if, am I going to get to talk? He said, if they don't run out of time, they might call on you. Well, I've been because I've been wanting to say something. I had a very highly intelligent mind. And I could analyze things just like that. So I figured out this thing. I figured that we had a different breed of cats coming in now, more intellectual like me. And we needed to, to get this across in a group and to write general service and, and tell them about it so they could put it in the grapevine and get it out to all of AA. And so I started walking real fast going toward the schoolhouse where we were having this. And David yelled and says, come back, I want to tell you something. I want to give you some instructions. He says, now, if they get around to you and call on you, he said, you get on your feet. He said, alcoholics, real alcoholics, are supposed to get on their feet. And when you pray, you're supposed to get on your knees. He said, real alcoholics do that. And he had me to read in the book where it says, real alcoholics. On page 21, it says, now, what about the real alcoholic? And <clears throat> I can tell whether or not I am a real alcoholic by studying the doctor's opinion and reading two or three pages in, in the chapter <clears throat> to Bill. <clears throat> so I turned and started toward the place again, and he called me. He said, now, wait a minute, let me tell, let me tell you this that you must do. <clears throat> there are no must in program, is what you've been coming to me and telling me. And I showed you in the big book where there are some must. In fact, there are 74 must in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. And there's one must not. And said that must not is more important than all the must put together said, rarely have we seen a person stay sober who continues to drink. <laughs> he said, you must not swallow any of that stuff. <laughs> I had a real beautiful relationship <laughs> with, with a sponsor. And <clears throat> he said, now, if you do get up, you stand up and tell them your name is Franklin Williams, you're a member of the Quonset Group. And... <clears throat> You are a real alcoholic. It says, then you sit your behind down. <laughs> that you done told them people all you know. <laughs> As I say, a lot, of, a lot of people in groups there in Memphis said that if they were sponsored the way I was, then they would have made it. Well, if they was down as low as I was, there wasn't any other place to go. And David had tremendous success with, with, with sponsorship. <coughs> Trust God, clean house, and help others. So I went every time that David went. One or two times he's going somewhere and he'd get somebody to, to pick me up. 
but any time that David went to a meeting or anywhere he went anywhere to AA, why he he took me. And I think with me that the greatest help that I got was the meetings before the meetings and the meetings after the meetings. I'd meet David down at the group there at least an hour before time for the meeting. And David would give me instructions and tell me how, how to do things. Then after the meeting was over, we'd lock the place up, we'd go out and sit in his car, and he'd give me another hour of instructions. I don't know that anybody has ever been sponsored like I was. He, he would give me assignments, and I'd have to study them. And then he'd give me a test on them. And if I didn't pass it, I had to do it over. So I soon learned that it was a lot cheaper to go on and do it the way that David said do it. So he was getting this stuff into me, even though I was against it. But I didn't have it didn't have any alternative. So I, I kept I kept digging away at it. Now I I thought that I worked the program to the best of my ability. And I think I did. I just didn't have much ability. <laughs> and I didn't have much honesty. Uh, so I had to have some more honesty. And David told me to pray for that honesty. I came to this program professing to be an agnostic. I don't know whether I was or not. But it, I thought it gave me an excuse to drink. So I went about saying that I was an agnostic. And I, that was necessary for me to go through, go through that stage because I learned, learned something from it. <coughs> Why did I come to the program of Alcoholics Anonymous? A little unique way of me getting here. This is a suggested program, and the judge suggested that I come. <laughs> so that's why I graced you with my presence. I haven't mentioned that I had a wife. Well, I did. And she didn't go to Al-Anon, and she eventually quit quit going to meetings. And I think I was caused of, of quitting. I really didn't want her there. And it didn't take her long to decide. And it wasn't long till she figured she could get along without me. And so she ditched me after all I had done for her. <laughs> <laughs> Providing her with a home. Just everything in the world that a gal would need. So, <coughs> so I, I don't want to talk without talking about Al-Anon. Eloise passed away about six years ago with a little over 25 years of continuous sobriety. Now, somewhere after maybe 10 years of sobriety in AA, she switched over and went to Al-Anon. She said to to learn to live with me. And I can really accept that because our, our house wasn't a home. It, it, was a, it was a house. And I didn't do anything to make it better. Eloise didn't do very much. So we finally reached a crossroad there where we just couldn't get along with each other. 
So Eloise walked off. And <clears throat> she went to Al-Anon. No, she didn't go. This next one went. Uh, if you're in AA and have lost your partner and you don't have one and you wish you did, hell, I'll give you mine. I'll, I'll give you Eloise. Well, Eloise goes along and gets real active in Al-Anon, real active. And our little daughter was going to Alateen. There wasn't much Alateen out there. But Eloise was doing a terrific job. And I got to work a little harder on, on my program. And gradually our house became a home. And today, uh, when Eloise died, the best friends I had were Eloise and Mickey. When I'd be away on Sundays, I'd carry the message preaching like I'm doing here. Well, <clears throat> I'd go out to Mickey's, the daughter, and I'd sit there and drink coffee for an hour or so. And really, Mickey and Eloise became the best two friends that I ever had. And we really developed a beautiful relationship and a beautiful, you know. Now, lest you Alanons feel too smugly, we drunks got you where you are today, and don't you forget it. <laughs> so I had, I had gone to, to AA with a different motive. I really wanted what David had, and I asked him questions about how he got it. And he very reluctantly gave me, gave me answers. And he became more interested in getting me interested. And I'll never, I'll never forget the hours, the days that we spent together. And <clears throat> really the, the 101, the eyeball to eyeball therapy. I think Alcoholics Anonymous is, was, and always will be one drunk talking to another. And that's what, that's what David and I did. Then Eloise and I got to where we could do that. Mickey and I got on a level where we could understand each other and we could communicate. <clears throat> so I continued to go on a basis. And I lost... I don't really know what happened there that first nine and a half years. David was giving me stuff from the from group. We were going over deals. We were going on 12-step calls. And I seemed to be getting just way out, way out, John. And I went to David at the group that night a little before the one the hour. Now, I said, David, I've got to talk to you. He said, I know it. That, <clears throat> that you, you've gotten way out in left field. He says, let's go back here and sit down and talk about it. So I said, David, I've got some things that I've got to tell you. He said, I know you have. He said, I've been praying to God that he would <clears throat> give you the, the willingness to come with me or somebody else and get these things out in the open before you get drunk. And said, God has answered my prayer. And evidently he had. 
Because David said, let's meet back here next Saturday morning, and we'll go out on the lake. He loved to get out on the lake, and I was worried all the time about he going to get me out there and, and dump me overboard. Because <laughs> he was a mean little cuss, really mean. Didn't love me, just a honorary little, little, little so-and-so. So I told David all of these things, told him these things about me, things I'd never told another human being. And I unloaded it all to David. He did something which he taught me to do. He told me that part of his story that correlated with mine. And the more that each one of us talked, the more that we opened up, and the more we saw of each other. Well, it wasn't but three days till the police captured me. Now, they had just cause for getting me, and they took me to jail. And before they took me to jail, David got a hold of me, and he says, you told me the things that you've been involved in, and said, they're going to get some of your time. So there was nothing to do but go on up there and turn yourself in and, and give them what, what you've done. And so I did. And it wasn't but three days there until the cops caught me. And they took me to jail. David was on my list to come to see me. He was on the list for we'd started an AA group. And he was on the list for that. So I, I could see David uh, mo most any time. So <clears throat> we got real, real close, and the judge sent me out to the penal farm. And I got out there, and I was going to sober up everybody that came. The, if a fellow came out there with delivering some goods from Memphis, well, I collared him as soon as he came in, and I began to give him the AA pitch. I don't know whether he drank or not, but he got <laughs> he got a hell of a lot of AA. And I went to the warden, and I gave poured this AA to him. And I said, would you mind if we start the AA group out here? He said, no, I wish you would. So we did. And I even took the program to the to the to the warden, and he he didn't even have a drinking problem. But I can see now. It helped me. It kept me sober. I went on and saved my time out there. Couldn't get a job. And I got out and just anything that I could pick up, well, I did. And gradually I began to get a little better job, a little better jobs. And I was taking, I was going out to the penal farm and getting uh, inmates and taking them home with me and preaching AA to them, and they was going right back out and getting drunk and going right back to the penal farm. And I got real, real discouraged. And then David said, well, you do, you're doing good. I'm not doing good. He said, you're staying sober. He said, I said, that's the name of this game. So that was encouraging. So I began to make some progress. David said, we took a four-step inventory and said, you only took part of it, 
and I had showed you in the big book how to take it, and said you didn't take it that way, and you threw it, and I and you took it and threw it away and burned it up. I said, yeah, that's right. So he, <clears throat> we got the the twelve and twelve and the big book and went out on the lake. And that Saturday morning, up at the at the little AA meeting that we had there on the on the on the grounds. Well, David gave me some assignments and said, I want you to t go home and get that doctor's opinion and read it and read it and study it and study it and study it. Says the answer to your problem is answered in that if you just study it and learn it and accept it. And so he said, every waking hour, you you study that. And he gave me a test on it, and he said, we're all right up to now. He said, that gets steps one and two. And said, let's go to the book and see if it really... So we got the big book, and he turned to chapter five, and he had me to read that the first two steps, which is in the A, B, C, is the A and the B. And he says, do you know what you've done when you do that? He said, I want you to, to, to recite this before we go any further. He said, read this out of the big book, the A and the B. God, I offer myself to thee to do and build with me as thou wilt. Remove every single defect of character which stands in my way of my usefulness to you and to my fellows. May I always do thy will. David said, we're all right up to now. And you know, after nine and a half months of being around you people and hearing this stuff day in and day out, I had never noticed that Bill had in the big book to take a the first and the second step by taking the ABCs. I saw the ABCs, but I didn't see where they, where they had anything to do with the, with the ABCs. But he says the, the first two steps are spelled out to you in the big book in the, 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 the ABCs. Neither did I notice that Bill had said we take the take the first two steps with another human being, and I never had taken them with another human being, but I took them with David. And then David said, "We are through with first two steps for right now," and said, "Read this about the fourth step, and then read in the in the." big book about the 12 steps. And so we read it and he said, now you go home and you reread that and study it and re-study it and read it and reread it. And the third step, we took there on the lake by the, with the big book and the 12 and 12. <coughs> so then, David said, we're going to take a fourth step. And it says, it tells you in here how to take the fourth step. And it says, you came to me several months ago for me to 
explain to you how to take it. And I asked you to let me see what you had already written on it. And you had you had taken it long. You had you had written a four-step inventory, just a four-step of your of your deeds. And says you didn't you didn't really get down into the thing. And he had me to read what Bill said about taking the four step. Said you want to find causes and conditions. What caused you to do this, and what what was the condition? What was the effect? And so I had to read in the fourth step in the in the big book. This was something that I hadn't seen. I hadn't seen that everything that I had ever done, every bit of trouble that I had ever gotten into, it was because I had abused the fourth step, the selfishness. Everything that's wrong with me went right went right back to selfishness. And David had me to read that selfishness and self centeredness we think is the root of our problem. And so I had to read had to read that out of the out of the big book, and it was. So we took that. And David said then, says, You know why you need to take the fourth step? I said, no, why? He said, you need to take the fourth one so you can take the fifth one. <laughs> I said, that's sharp, David. Where did you learn that? He said, oh, I learned it here. I said, it's in, the, it's in the big book. Yeah, you need to take the fourth one so you can take the fifth one. So we got to work on the fourth one. And he said, you want to find the three areas of your life where you need to examine one of them is resentments. The second one is fear. And the third one is sex. And he says, take three sheets of this legal paper and put each of the headings at the top of one page. And says, you're going to have more than one page of resentments because you have come out with a lot of your resentments and, and I've seen them. So I know what they are. So sure enough, he did. And he gave me a little pad, said, put it in your pocket, and it worked right down on there, any resentment that you can think of. And then at night when you get back, well, I put it on your master phone. And I had a heck of a, a heck of a resentment list. But I made it. And also in the fourth step, it says that we take an inventory of the people that we had harmed. And, you know, I didn't know that that came under the fourth step, but it says in that, too, so I did that. Then I, I wrote down the, the resentments, and he told me to list the resentments, to not to put anything else by them except the resentment. Then after I get them all listed, start back over them, and put what was the cause of it and what was the effect. This step with me took a lot of searching, and I had to pray to God for willingness to do something about it. And that paid off. And the good part was that I knew what I needed to do. And I had to ask God, on myself, ask God to, to give me the, the fortitude 
and the strength and the willingness to do these things. So I did these things. And then we went back out there on the lake and went over all of these. Now David did something which I do with people with whom I take a fourth and fifth step. He told me part of his, certainly that part of it which corresponded with, with what I had. Now, in my opinion of what I remember, I don't think in the, in the, the big book that Bill says anything about going over with the person that you, that you are taking the inventory, going over with this. But in the 12 and 12, I know he does. So he had me also to take the 12 and 12 before we got away from the, from the fourth step. Take the, the 12 step and pick out what I need to do about it. The first thing to do is to lift them. Lift my resentments. The next thing to do was to lift the other resentments. And the other thing to do was what was the result. In the 12 and 12, or in the, in the, in the big book, it has the, the, the things listed. And then what caused it? Bill says that the, cause, the, the reason for a four-step inventory is to find out causes and results. And on page 65 in the 12 and 12, <coughs> it says that we, we resented re this question. It said to list also the fears. And I put the fears down. One of the examples that it gives in the 12, in the big book, it says that the, <coughs> I resent Mr. Brown. Why? Because his attentions to my wife. How does that affect me? It affects my security. And it affects my sex. And he said, now, before we go any further, let's go to 12 and 12 and see what Bill has in there about the effects. And so I did. And I saw that, that Bill said, I resent my wife. Why? Because of her, her, my husband, because of his attentions to my, to my wife. And going down with all the others, what was the cause and what was the effect? I put the, in there my character defects. And the reason I did, I didn't see anywhere in the in the uh, in the big book where it said anything about the the <coughs> character defects. But on page 51, I believe it is, in the 12 and 12, it says that character defects representing instincts gone astray being the primary cause of our failure of life and failure at living. This is a very, very important step and a very deep step. It, it, with me, it took a lot of guts and a lot of digging and a lot of willingness and a willingness to ask God for help in this area and <clears throat> to follow through on this.
So I did this. He said, now, says, what we need to do is to get into 6 and 7. On page 72 in the big book, I believe it is, 6 to 7 or 72, it says, the failure to take this vital step does not relieve our alcoholism. Invariably, we drink a little again. We haven't learned enough of honesty and humility and patience by telling it all to another human being. So I took all of this with my sponsor. And as I say, he took part of his with me. So that got us down to steps 9 and 10. I had to pray for willingness to get rid of these character defects. And I did what David told me to do, was to study in that book, book and find out what it said, and then to pray for the willingness. See, I am never going to get rid of my character defects. Why? Because I never get rid of, 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 of my ego. I'll never get rid of my ego. I'll never get rid of my ego until I can get some willingness, willingness in this step to ask that they be removed. I think with me, and it may not be this way with others, but I think that God hasn't removed my character defects. God hasn't removed my, my <clears throat> wisdom. I will never completely get rid of my character defects because I'll never get completely get rid of ego. We got a fellow at home that loves to fish and he loves to drink. And he, he drinks old peraldehyde. And he went to this place to get some minnows. The little ponds were frozen over. The man had more minnows than he could possibly use. So the little boy asked him about some minnows and asked how much it was. And the boy said, all you want for a dollar. The old drunk says, give me three dollars worth. There ain't no way to satisfy a human ego. So we went on. We went on into step 10. And I think continued is the main word in that. Continued to take a daily inventory. And here I had to ask for help. And I had to ask for willingness. See, there's no limit to where I can go in this program because I'll never run out of God. I'll never run out of God. No matter how things rough they may get, I know where to take it, to take it to God and to turn it over to Him. And the more I do this, the more I see the necessity of having willingness to do this. So I ask for willingness. And gradually, my character defect is not taken away, it's just removed for the time being. And there's really no limit to where I can go in this program. No matter how rough things get, if I pray for willingness and use willingness, this thing will, will be solved. The, in, the, in my bank, where I go to 
to borrow from God and for God to help me. David carried with him in his little old car a book, the big book, and the 12 and 12. And he also carried a dictionary. And he had me to look up believe in the dictionary. And the definition I found was to use. There's no limit to where I can go if I'll turn this over to God. And the beautiful thing to me is that the more that I do this, the better things seem to work out. And I come to realize that no matter how bad things seem in the beginning, by me going to the dictionary and turning this over to God, I'm turning it over to God. And there's no limit to where I can go if I use God as, as my power to eradicate these. Having had, well, first continued to take a personal inventory and when wrong promptly admitted it, they again have, have to use some, some, some God and borrow him from God and turn it over to God. And having had a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to other alcoholics and practice these principles in all our affairs. Practice these principles. What principles are we talking about? Talking about the principle of love, the principles in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. So I began to use this more and more and to turn things over more and more and not to take them back as quickly as I had been doing. Ask for asking for help and was receiving this help from God. I knew that there was a great power here. You know, I'm awed at the power in this program. But there's more power here than I'll ever be capable of using. So really, my solution to it is I'll never run out of God. There'll always be some power here which God is holding for me and will turn it over to me if I'll only ask for it and cooperate. I close with my football story that I always close with. It's really not much of a story, but I just like the way I tell it. <laughs> and, and I like to tell it. I just like to think that the God of my understanding is saying unto me tonight, Franklin, I'm getting up a football team. I'm going to make you the quarterback. <clears throat> I'm going to give you three men in the backfield that you were act used in your active alcoholism. At the two, two, two in the backfield, honesty, humility, and paper. And, <clears throat> and paper. <clears throat> at the two, two uh, ends, honesty and humility. At the two tackles, patience and tolerance. At the two guards, unselfishness and gratitude. And at center, willingness. Now, it'll be necessary that you use willingness on every play. Willingness is going to be the key to your, to your operation. And there's no limit to where you can go 
if you use the full capacity of these people. So I'm going to turn these over to you, and I'm going to turn your manager over over to you. And this manager is going to find that these people are working with him more closely than they ever have, and he's working with them. So at the two ends, I have honesty and humility at the two tackles, patience and tolerance, and unselfishness and gratitude for God and center for willingness. Now, it'd be necessary to use willingness on every play. And <coughs> every play is going to hinge on the play originating with God. So God will run this show and will give you the help that you need if you'll only keep it simple and follow directions. I love the program of Alcoholics Anonymous. Alcoholics Anonymous, to me, is the greatest force that this universe has ever, know, ever known. And there's not a day, there's not an hour that some of my thoughts and my prayers don't go to them. And I'll ask God to put somebody in my way. Well, I can be of some service to that people, to that person. So, this is it. The greatest power that's available being loosed among a sorry, no good bunch of drunks. And these drunks having the, the power and the tenacity to stick with it. So if you don't believe that this program will work, just keep it simple and follow directions. And if you don't believe that God will help you, just ask him. Thank you, and God bless you, and I love you.